Reading together, please. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and said, Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. We will be finishing up uh, Mark 2 and starting in Mark 3. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, as we <clears throat> open your word and as we seek to understand what's here, uh, pray for each of us that you would open our eyes and our ears. And Lord, may we hear, may we understand, and Lord, help us to act on what we learn. I pray, Lord God, that you take me out of the way and that your word would come forth and that it would challenge, encourage, and convict us. We ask in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Imagine, if you will, that uh, a couple of guys are hiking, maybe Colorado, somewhere like that, and they're up in the mountains. And as they're going through and hiking, the two of them are kind of poking their heads inside of caves and looking around. And um, at one point, they look in one cave, and they see a bear, and a bear's sleeping. And so, you know, the smartest thing to do is to back out quietly and get as far away from there as you can. Now, one of the two, the dumber of the two, decided that he was going to get a big old stick, and he started, he was going to go, too soon, Keaton, too soon. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <clears throat> he's going to take the stick and go in there and poke the bear. Now, the other friend said, listen, uh, don't, uh, don't do anything that stupid. I mean, really, if you poke that bear, he's going to wake up. And what happens if he's hungry? I mean, really, what, what are you going to do then? Okay. And of course, we've heard, we've heard this, the saying, don't poke the bear. I wonder, in situations like the ones Jesus is going to be in that we're going to study, if his disciples weren't thinking something of a Hebrew equivalent, Jesus, just don't poke the bear. Would you just kind of, you know, get along with these dudes? I wonder if that was going on in some of their minds, uh, because Jesus goes into some of these situations, and there's five of them that we're going to be looking at, the first two we did last week, and he went in f full speed ahead, and it was conflict and confrontation with the religious leaders of the day. The first one last week we saw that Jesus forgave the sins of the paralytic, and of course that raised the question, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said, well, just so that you know that I am God and that I can forgive sins, watch this. Get up, take up your mat and walk, and he walked out the door. Second situation, Jesus was at a banquet that Matthew, the tax collector, had set, and he was eating with a whole bunch of tax collectors and sinners, and, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were saying, how can he eat? And this is a literal translation from the New Living. How can he eat with such scum? That's what they thought of these people. 
And uh, Jesus' answer to them was, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And um, he wasn't saying that the Pharisees were okay, but he was saying to them, these people need my help and I'm not giving that up. The Pharisees were self-righteous and they desperately needed Jesus' help, but they weren't listening. And I think that was an important point he was making in that point. So you have these two incidents where Jesus has confronted um, <clears throat> the people. And um, we go right into chapter 2, verse 18. We'll start with the third. Now remember, are these five events, Mark put them together. They're not necessarily chronological. They're certainly all together in the same area, but they are topical. All of them have to do with confronting or going face-to-face up against the religious leaders, every single one of them. So as we're reading through them, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, well, this happened the first day and this the second day. A lot of time could have gone by, but he brought the stories together for that one point. Jesus is above all of those things, and he's confronting the religious leaders of the day. So verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting and yours are not? So there were three groups of disciples in the area, the Pharisees and their disciples. And then you had John's disciples. He was in prison already, but his disciples were still out there. And then, of course, you've got Jesus' disciples. And the Pharisees and the disciples of John were fasting, and Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. Um, <clears throat> now, it's interesting. The Pharisees uh, were going without food and water. Food, they, they had water, but going without food in order to spend time in prayer, in order to spend time humbling themselves before God. At least that was the official. That was the official position. This is why we fast. This is why we pray. <clears throat> um, now, in the Old Testament, let's go and put that one. There we go. In the Old Testament law, that. Only one day a year was set aside as a required day. One day a year required for the Jewish people to fast. And that was the Day of Atonement. On that day, the nation was supposed to fast and pray and remember that atonement and forgiveness came from God. And that was what they were supposed to be focusing on. But the Pharisees, by the time that Jesus came along, the Pharisees were fasting Mondays and Thursdays every single week. And they wanted to make sure everybody knew that they were fasting. And they were telling everybody else that they should do the same thing, that they should fast as well. Let's go on to verse 19. Jesus responds to them. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So he's saying, hey, I'm here. I'm the bridegroom. And when the bridegroom's at the party, that's not the time to fast. That's the time to rejoice. That's the time to celebrate. I'm here. We are doing the rejoicing and the celebrating. That's what we're doing. And so now is not the time to fast. They will fast on that day. And if you go fast forward to the end of Christ's time on earth and he dies on the cross, that was the day I believe he's referring to. On that day, they will fast because he was taken from them. Um, Sorry. Okay. Jesus had already made it clear 
that he came to convert sinners, not to compliment them. Okay? That's a big difference. I'm here to convert sinners. I'm not here to say, oh, you're, you're fine. You're doing okay. No problem. No, I'm, I'm here to convert sinners. Um, and, and one of the things that he was really trying to point out, and he points it out subtly and sometimes and sometimes right in their face, but it's the, the self-righteous, the people who think they're righteous, the people who have declared themselves righteous, the Pharisees, they were not. They were not righteous. And so Jesus is confronting this kind of thing. <clears throat> Thanks to the legalism imposed by the scribes and the Pharisees, the religion that the people of Israel were following was lists of rules and regulations and things that <clears throat> God had not required, many of them. They added many things to the law. And as they added those things, <clears throat> they made it a huge burden for the people of Israel. So Matthew 23, 2 and 3 says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So what Jesus is saying to the people, listen, the teachers of the law are the ones who are telling you the Old Testament law. They're giving you the instructions from God's word. So you need to listen to them. But then he goes on to say, <clears throat> do not do what they do. Listen to what they have to say. But do not. Do not do anything of the things that they do. That's a strong message, isn't it? The religious leaders, the teachers, the people who are there to tell people how to live in a way that pleases God. He said, listen to them, and when they're telling you what the Scripture says, obey the Scripture. But don't you dare do the things they do. Because they're not living and walking with God the way they should. That's... That's a harsh statement and a strong statement. And then Jesus gives an example, a couple of examples of how the good news that, of the gospel cannot be just <clears throat> put together with the law. In other words, uh, the law, he said, is like, a, like an old patch of, of, of clothing. You can't take something brand new and attach it to it as a patch because it'll pull apart when you wash it. And same thing with wineskins. If you've got old wineskins, you don't put new wine in them because it breaks. And what he was trying to say was the good news of the gospel, the grace of God coming through with mercy, you can't just add that to the sacrifices and all of the rituals of the law. You can't do that. It won't work. You'll burst that old system. And that's exactly what he's saying to them. So <clears throat> the new life of the Spirit could not be forced into the Old Testament uh, Levitical law with the sacrifices and temple worship. And so Jesus was saying, those days are done. They didn't know it yet, but he was absolutely right. In AD 70, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And it was at that point that following the Old Testament law with the temple and the priests and the sacrifices stopped. From that point on, to this day, there has not been any of that happening. And that's what Jesus was saying. Those are the things that are passing away. What's coming is the law of grace. And what's coming are the fact that I'm coming to fulfill all of this and to bring us into <clears throat> a new uh, way of being able to relate to God. Now, in summary, he said these things. Jesus said he came. Go ahead, Keaton, put that one up. Thank you. Um, 
Jesus said he came to save sinners, not the religious. Not that he didn't want Pharisees to get saved. He'd love for that. Matter of fact, you have Nicodemus who came and, and he was born again. And so that was what Jesus wanted, but did not happen with the majority of the Pharisees. It says he came to bring deep joy and not sadness. He said, listen, I'm coming. And, and it's like we're celebrating. Now, when I die, then there'll be sadness. But there will be celebrations as well afterwards as, we, <clears throat> as he rises from the dead. And so... <clears throat> He then introduces the good news, and then the good news is not the idea to patch up the old rituals and the rules. The good news is the gospel of God's mercy and God's grace available to all freely for those who will believe. There's an implication here. Uh, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? By simply saying, you don't go to a wedding banquet and mourn. You don't go to a wedding banquet and, and sit there and cry and sob and, and think about how terrible life is and how hard. No, you go to a wedding banquet and you're there to celebrate and to rejoice with the bride and the groom. Um, <clears throat> so he, he makes that very clear. Now, there's some challenges here to the Pharisees. that He's been challenging them all along. Um, they lived by appearance and their lives were a show. And so Jesus challenged their motives. What were they all about? Well, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and here's the rules. And, and, and Jesus was saying, where's your heart? <clears throat> they constructed really elaborate behavior patterns and, and rituals to show their own holiness. I mean, they had all kinds of things that you weren't allowed to even think about on the Sabbath. And, and, and most of those weren't even in the law. They're things that they added. And Jesus taught that you could do all kinds of good things, but it doesn't matter because it's what's in your heart that counts. There's no spiritual value in going through the motions on this stuff. You're, you're doing all this tithing and all these other things, but you're doing it for show. And Jesus said, it's all about your heart and your heart being prepared. And so then in response to the question about fasting, Jesus returned and said, okay, let's talk about why we should fast. What are the reasons we should fast? And, and that goes right down to the heart of the issue. So <clears throat> this next quote, Jesus made it clear that fasting, this, Jesus made it clear that fasting was not a self-justifying action. Think of what was being said there. They thought that fasting and all that kind of stuff and all the rituals and regulations they did, somehow that was making them acceptable to God. And, and, and Jesus was saying, uh, no, it doesn't make you acceptable to God at all because you're doing it for show. You're doing it Mondays and Thursdays, and you make sure everybody knows that you're doing it on Mondays and Thursdays. And he's making it very clear they could not earn God's favor or God's um, forgiveness because they fasted. That's, that was not part of the equation, not part of the picture, not something God had ever intended. Um, <clears throat> fasting was not a way to gain approval from God or to earn his forgiveness or his grace. That wasn't what fasting was for. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. At some point, Jesus gave an illustration that I just absolutely love this from Luke 18. Because we're dealing with Pharisees and teachers of the law. <clears throat> and Jesus said this, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. And then it's almost as as if Jesus is saying, we're going to shift the story here, and let me tell you about the other guy, because this guy's just going to keep going on and on and on anyway. That, that, it really is how it sounds. As you're going through, you go, oh, okay, there's a stop. He didn't end his prayer, but Jesus isn't going to talk about his prayer anymore. And he moved on to the tax collector. <clears throat> Verse 13, the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. So he bowed his head. He beat his chest in sorrow. He said, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now, that prayer, God heard. And it's interesting. I love the way Jesus uses this illustration. And very honestly, it was as if the Pharisees were trying to do all these good deeds to receive God's grace. And Pharisees were declaring themselves to be justified. They were self-justified. Now, when you justify yourself, that doesn't help at all, does it? It's when God justifies you. That's what counts. That's what matters. Pharisees weren't being justified by God. They were being justified in their own eyes because they were doing all of these things. Jesus said it was the tax collector who went home justified, not the Pharisee. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus and his death for us on the cross, and and this is really important. Let me just ask you, if you've ever had a chance to make that profession, if you've ever had a chance to just stop and say, you know what, yeah, I need to be saved. The only way that that can happen is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. When we pray and we say, Lord God, I can't save myself, but you can save me. I believe Jesus died for me. That's what has to happen. And if you can't point to a time when you did that, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to challenge you. Think that through. Because there is a spiritual reality that the Bible teaches us, and that is if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't believed in him and accepted the forgiveness he offers, then you are not ready for eternity. Because the eternity you're facing is damnation. And God doesn't want you to be damned. That's why he sent Jesus. Not so that he could send people to hell, but so they could help people not go to hell. That was the point. And so as Jesus is going through and he's talking about this tax collector who's trying to justify himself by all the things he can do, he says, listen, this is the guy that got saved, the guy that said, Lord, be merciful to me. I need your grace. I believe in you. And so when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and his death and when we believe he died for us, at that moment, we are in Christ and we receive the righteousness of Christ is given to us. We're not righteous because of what we do. We are righteous because of what Christ has done. We are righteous because the righteousness of God has been given to us instead of all the sin and filth that was there before. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is sharing here. And that's the gospel the Pharisees are saying, forget this stuff, we're going to do our laws and we're going to do our rules and we're going to do our rituals. And Jesus is saying, that won't help you. It's not about that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's, that's the gospel. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has passed and the new has come. Justified by faith in Jesus, 
not obedience to rituals, rules, and regulations. Yeah, there are things that God wants us to do, but not to get saved. The only thing we do to get saved is turn to him, and he does the saving. And then we seek to learn to walk with him after that. So Jesus made it clear that the only way to come wasn't through all the stuff the Pharisees were doing, but it was by putting faith and trust in him. Going to verse 23, this is the fourth conflict. Jesus with the religious leaders. Uh, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some of the grain, heads of grain. So on the Sabbath, you could only walk certain distances. So they were walking on one of the paths in the fields that they would take. And as they were going along, they were picking the grains of wheat and doing this and blowing the chaff off and throwing them in their mouth and having a little snack along the way. And um, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? What they were saying was, hey, these guys are harvesting. They're not supposed to be out here harvesting. They're, they're harvesting. That's against, that's against the law. Now, again, think about what they are. I mean, on one level, the Pharisees are acting like the religious police here. And they're just kind of stomping on everything that Jesus or his disciples do. And they're just pointing fingers and they, they just desperately want to get rid of Jesus. And, and it's not working. Um, <clears throat> the Pharisees, get this, had established 39 categories of things you could not do on the Sabbath. Now, you go back into Leviticus and some of the places in the Old Testament, you're not going to find 39 categories. There are some things that they were told they couldn't do on the Sabbath, but it wasn't a whole long list of 39 things. And so they had interpreted the law and added to it and added their own thoughts to it and made that be the law for the Jewish people. And Jesus' disciples were picking the grain and they were hungry and they were eating. Understand, they weren't farmers and they weren't harvesting a crop. They were walking, and they were eating a little snack, which is, you go back and look at the law, you could actually do that. If you're walking through someone's field, you could take a few handfuls of grain. You just couldn't get out a sickle and harvest their field and take it away. Uh, and so this is, this is one of those things where the, they're just looking for something um, to pick on the disciples. You know, they're breaking the law. Now, if they... All these, some of these guys were fishermen, and if they had decided on the Sabbath to take their boat, go out and do fishing, and do all that they would normally do on Monday, on a Sabbath, yeah, they would have been breaking the law. But that isn't the case. They weren't harvesting. So as they're doing this, they're coming along, and there's this thing that they're challenged. Now, Jesus answers them in three ways. On some levels, he's, he's a master of the, the way the, the Pharisees and scribes debated each other. You know, they said, well, this is totally illegal. They shouldn't do that. And so (laughs) Jesus answered in this way, verse 25, have you ever read? It's almost like, didn't you know that back in the Old Testament, have you ever read this? Let let me tell you about it. And what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need. You you remember that passage? I'm sure you guys forgot it, but let me me remind you. And so he tells them, yeah, David, and he's running from Saul with some of his men. They're starved. They don't have anything to eat, and they have to get something so they can keep running or be killed by Saul when he catches up to them. So they go to the tabernacle, and and they ask the priest, can we have some of the bread? And what they did was they took the show bread every Start of the week, they would put brand new 12 loaves of bread as a representation of all the tribes in the tabernacle before God, and they got switched out. 
The old loaves were then eaten by the priests. In this case, the priests said, you guys need these more than we do, and they gave them the loaves to eat. And, and I love Jesus saying, hey, you remember David? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, David did something that was unlawful, if you want to call it that. But the reality was, <clears throat> God didn't condemn David or his friends. He didn't put any condemnation on them. Uh, now, the Pharisees' narrow interpretation would have definitely brought down some judgment on them, but it wasn't up to them. So that's the first step. The second, in verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, what's he saying here? Uh, what he's really saying is, God didn't create all of these rituals and rules and all of the law and then say, okay, now we need some people to obey it, so let's create people. That's, that's not what happened. He said, the Sabbath wasn't here. Men and women were here. And at some point, God said, you know what? We need to help men and women on earth by giving them a day of rest and worship every seven days. That's what God was doing when he said, I want you to rest on the Sabbath. Because otherwise, they would just work 365 days in a row and never stop for anything. And God was saying, that's not healthy. That's not good for you physically, and it's certainly not good for you spiritually. So on the seventh day, the Sabbath, we will not work. We will stop, and we will celebrate, and we will rest, and we will continue to worship God. So God created the Sabbath for people, not as some kind of way to, to, to force them to doing things. So that was the second you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not, not the other way around. Um, and then the third one so, is in the next verse. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, the Son of God is God, and he controls what goes on on the Sabbath. He's the one that gives the instructions, and he's the one that wants you to stop, rest, and worship. And I just, as you're looking through these things, I mean, he gives them this masterful, masterful description. <clears throat> just boom, 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 boom. The Son of Man, he's the one who decrees what is lawful and what's permissible and not permissible. He's the one who makes up and decides what needs to happen. I've, I found this quote that I really like. Jesus makes plain the humanitarian <clears throat> purpose of the Sabbath. And his word is final. The Pharisees, with their rules, regulations, and endless arguments, misrepresent the will of God. Now, do you understand why they were saying they, this man is dangerous? I mean, Jesus was going head to head, and every time he won, they didn't have a chance. And so, again, even in this situation, now, <clears throat> just to kind of look at Jesus' defense, it comes in three parts. His defense, David was given the bread from the tabernacle, and so that happened, and, and, he, and it was reserved for the priest, but the urgency of David's need was such that the priest said, you know what? God would want us to give food to these people, and they did. The Sabbath was a gift from God, and he reminded them of that. The Sabbath was made, as a matter of fact, the New Living puts it this way, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. That's exactly right. The Sabbath was made for them. You know what? It's not good that they work 
365 days a week with no time off to rest or relax and no time to worship, every seven days we're going to put this into the system. All right, every seven days you take a rest. Every seven days you take extra time and you take that time to worship. So the Sabbath was instituted by God to be of help and encouragement. By the time that Jesus came along, what they had done to the Sabbath made it absolutely miserable for everybody. It was impossible to do all of the things that they were being told they needed to do. And then, of course, the last one, Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the, of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is master even over the Sabbath. He's sovereign over all of this. I, 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 love, I love that first part especially. Have you not read? <laughs> oh, mercy. Anyway, implication here, verse 27. Uh, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What a contrast. What a huge contrast with what the Pharisees were teaching and what God intended. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were interpreting the law and adding to it and twisting it and distorting it so that all of their little rules and regulations were what you were forced to look at. Rather than say, okay, I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to remember his grace and his mercy to me. And I'm going to be thankful for the fact that he gives me this time to recuperate and rest and worship. The Pharisees knew the scriptures thoroughly. And yet Jesus' question, have you never read, must have been almost, a, almost an insult. Talk about coming face to face. I mean, that's exactly what he was doing. Haven't you read? I mean, what is wrong with you guys? And then I came across this quote, Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to earth to offer all people forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. The religious leaders had zero understanding of that. They did not get it. There were a few exceptions. Remember Nicodemus and a few others who were Pharisees and scribes. But at this point, there's, most of them were totally against Jesus. He was the perfect lamb of God. That's why he could bring the whole sacrificial system to an end because he fulfilled it. Remember when Jesus died, that was the last sacrifice that was offered under that old system. And his death as the perfect lamb of God is what we look back to and it's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper and why we celebrate who he is and what he's done. <clears throat> and of course the whole idea that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath again comes through in all of these ways. Um, <clears throat> he was the perfect lamb, and when he says the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath, he shows who he is. He's saying, I'm, I'm God, I'm Lord, I'm the master over the Sabbath as well as everything else. Uh, one of the things that struck me, I came across this this week, the whole idea that the creator is always greater than his creation. And so you've got Jesus who was the one who helped give the law, created everything. <clears throat> of course he's greater than everything that he put in place. Of course he's greater than the law itself. He's the creator. He's God. He's the Son of Man who is the Lord of the Sabbath. So I love the fact that he's showing his authority and he shows that he can overrule these traditions and these false laws that they built up. <clears throat> And the reason for that is that Jesus is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now the last fifth 
uh, confrontation flows right out of chapter 2. Remember, none of these chapters or verse markings were there originally. It was just one long bunch of writing. And at some point, someone decided, well, here, let's start chapter 3 here. Um, But I'm going to read 27, 28, and we'll go right on into 1. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man, uh, was made for man, I'm sorry, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Verse 1, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, this same story is told in Matthew and Luke as well. And you can go back and get some more details from there that Mark doesn't give us. Let's switch to Luke 6 here, and we'll read it from there. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus went in. He's teaching. Normally, when he went into the synagogues, that was one of the things he was doing. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. We don't know exactly what that means, but it was useless. Okay, maybe it was just that it was a small hand that couldn't move. Maybe it was a hand that was injured. We have no idea why, but he had a hand that was shriveled and useless. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Isn't that incredible? So they watched. They watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And why not? He's Lord of the Sabbath, right? So if the Lord of the Sabbath wants to do this on the Sabbath, he has every right to do that. But that isn't how they saw it. So verse 3, Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, remember, the whole area of Galilee, many people would have known this man for some reason or other. Um, and, And now he's in the synagogue and he's... Jesus says, stand up. And all the religious leaders and are watching. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Uh, and Jesus asks his question uh, of them. <clears throat> Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? Now he's got them there already, right? I mean, on the Sabbath, which is better? Do good, do evil? They didn't answer. Um, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? He says, to save a life or to kill? Again, I mean, how do you not answer that properly? Well, you don't answer it properly if you remain silent. Now, several people, uh, as I was reading, suggested that he made this statement, and after he made it, he looked at each and every one of the leaders of the law as if to say, what do you think? And not one of them responded. So it's very possible that a period of time goes by as he asks the question and waits for an answer, which does not come. They do not answer at all. And so he looked at them, it says, in anger and deeply distressed. He's angry because they're hurting someone and deeply distressed because they've got such hard hearts. They don't give a rip about this man. They just want to put Jesus down. They want to get rid of Jesus. And so he asked them, you know, do I do good? Do I do bad? No answer at all. So he looked around, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he says to the man, 
And, and this, is, this is the part I'd love to see. And the place is full of people. And this man standing up there in front of everybody, his hand is, can't even move. And, and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he does, and wow. Oh, everything's working. And it happened just like that, that instant. It, it went from being useless to a totally useful, perfect hand at the word of Jesus. Wow. Talk about doing good. What an amazing thing. And you're expecting at this point for the Pharisees to see the light, you know? It's time for you guys to wake up a little bit and, and admit that you're wrong. Verse 6, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. By the way, Herodians, uh, the least religious of all the groups in Israel, were connected to Romans and to Herod especially. They were not friends of the Pharisees. Normally they were bitter enemies. But hatred for Jesus drove them together. Well, when Jesus healed this man, it made them see that something happened, something big. And it reminded me a little bit of when Jesus was, uh, it's in John 9, where Jesus heals the man born blind. And the man born blind is brought before the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they're, they're just really giving him a hard time. And who did this? Well, it was Jesus. Jesus is a sinner. He couldn't do this. And they back and forth and back and forth asking questions and accusing him of doing something wrong almost. And he says this, no one has ever heard of a man born blind being healed. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. The same thing is happening here. Jesus wasn't from God. He's not healing this man with the withered hand. And yet, what is the response of the religious leaders? Oh, we can't have this. Let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. What's the takeaway in all this? And, and what I thought I'd just do very quickly is just go through the five conflicts and see the point that Jesus was making. So conflict number one, <clears throat> Jesus forgave the sins of the paralytic, and, and, um, he, and then he healed him. And, of course, the question was, who can forgive sins? Well, in forgiving sins, Christ showed clearly he's God. Matter of fact, if you remember that scenario, Jesus said, so that you may know who I am and that I have the authority to do these things, get up, take your mat, and go home. Number two, at the banquet with the tax collectors and the sinners, he's being criticized again by the religious leaders, and Jesus says, it's not the healthy or the self-righteous, he could have said, like you who need, who need the doctor but the sick. And verse 45 of Mark says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The third conflict, the Pharisees fasted twice a week, they tithed of their income, all of the things that they were required to do. But fasting wasn't how you gain approval from God. Fasting was a way to be humble before God. Fasting was a way to draw close to God, not show off and have people look at you and go, wow, they're spiritual. They fast twice a week. So conflict number three, I think that that what's being taught there is we are supposed to fast, not as a show to everyone to see. So we don't fast and say, oh, guess what? I'm fasting. No, if you're fasting, don't tell anybody. 
Matter of fact, don't tell anybody and get on, get on your knees before God or spend that time that you normally would be preparing and eating and cleaning up. Spend that time seeking God. That was the point of fasting, was to have a little bit more time, a little bit of a place to say, I'm going to focus what I normally would on food prep and all that stuff. I'm going to focus that time and humble myself before God and seek him. That was the point of fasting. Conflict number four, Pharisees impose rigid rules and regulations, and Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was given as a blessing. Rest and worship. I love the way the New Living puts it. The Sabbath was made for the, to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the law. The Son of Man is master even of the Sabbath. Number five, Jesus healed the man with the hand in hostile circumstances. And Jesus said, if you had a sheep fall in a pit on the Sabbath, you would go rescue it. That's what he said in Matthew. And, and they would have. And, and what he says in the passage of Matthew, so how much more valuable is this man than your sheep? They didn't answer. And so conflict number five, I think, is resolved by saying it is lawful to do good, to heal, to save on the Sabbath. So Jesus confronts, challenges faces them, and they have no response. Oh, we got to kill this man because he's, he's making us look bad. So Pharisees didn't see the man that was in need, only an opportunity to accuse Jesus. There's just some finishing observations. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, had authority to overrule the Pharisees' traditions and regulations. He had that authority and that power. And then the Sabbath, while an important day given to God's people as a day of rest and worship, was also a day to be merciful and to be kind, and a day to show how amazing it was that God could do something like heal. And so we end this passage with Jesus coming to grips with all of them and coming down on the fact that Jesus is Lord in every conflict with the religious leaders, and he left them speechless and powerless and showed they were, not, they were men pursuing power, but not God. Think about that. All these scenarios, really what Jesus was showing was, you guys don't care about God. You care about your rules, your rituals, and your power. And Jesus said, that's worthless. That means nothing. So, may we rejoice in the grace of the Lord Jesus, the mercy of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, what an incredible thing. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you make these things so clear. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us this morning would take a hard look. First of all, to make sure that we, we do have a relationship with you, that we have been saved. And then, Lord, to come back to you humbly and say, Lord, help me to follow you better. We ask this in your name.